Hi, everyone. I'm Dr. John White, WebMD's Chief Medical Officer and host of the Spotlight On series from WebMD's Health Discovered podcast. For this special two-part episode, you'll hear up-close and personal journeys about being diagnosed with a rare type of cancer, multiple myeloma. I started in myeloma nearly 25 years ago. And at that time, the average expectation of life in someone with myeloma was maybe one to two years. But even just in this last 10 to 12 years, we have doubled, if not tripled, the average survival of patients. I saw a new patient this week, and we had this conversation that based on what we've done over the last decade, my expectation is that patient's going to live more than 10 years. Listen to Health Discovered on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts. On 9-11, our nation made a commitment to never forget. Since then, it's been the Tunnel to Towers Foundation honoring those words with action. So many people gave their lives while saving others on 9-11. Tunnel to Towers carries forward that legacy of courage and heroism by honoring our country's military and first responder heroes, people who are willing to die for you and me. Donate $11 a month to Tunnel to Towers at T2T.org. That's T, the number two, T.org. Have you ever thought about starting your own podcast? You know, when we were trying to get this podcast off the ground, we had a lot of questions. How do you record an episode? How do I get the show into all the apps people like to listen to? You know, best of all, how do we like to make money off this podcast? The answer to every one of these questions is really simple. Anchor. Anchor is a one-stop shop for recording, hosting, and distributing your podcast. Best of all, it's 100% free and ridiculously easy to use. And now, Anchor can match you with great sponsors who want to advertise on your podcast. That means you can get paid to to podcast right away. In fact, that's what we're doing right now by reading this ad. You know, I like to listen to to my scary podcast during the week while I'm at work. And man, let me tell you, it just gets me in an extra zone so I can keep working all day long. So if you've always wanted to start a podcast and make money doing it, go to anchor.fm slash start to join me and the diverse community of podcasters already using Anchor. That's anchor.fm slash start. I can't wait to hear your podcast. And welcome in, ladies and gentlemen, to another brand new episode of the High Low Sports Podcast. It's Kelsey joined by DJ today. And just like every other week, we're we're back again with more sports action. But this time, we've had... Quite a bit of change over the last week and week and a half in, in some sports. Round one of the NBA playoffs is finished, and one of the biggest trade rumors has finally come to fruition. DJ, obviously, glad to be back in for another week, and, and it's been a crazy week so far uh, for sure. Definitely been surprisingly active, considering these are really closing on, quote-unquote, the dog days of summer. As sports kind of whittle down before the fall and when they really pick up. So it's actually been underratedly active as well, too. And not just the trades and like trade football trades. There's also the rumors with like Jordan Love, Aaron Rodgers. There's a lot going on in the sports world in general. We, of course, won't get to touch on all of it today, but we'll definitely touch on the good stuff. That's for sure. Absolutely. And when we get into that, that'll be part of the tip off presented by fanatics.com. If you guys haven't already checked it out, go check out fanatics.com. You get all your brand new jerseys, T-shirts, all your team apparel that you'll need and all these new number changes and team changes coming about for players and uh, a, a couple rumored potential New Jersey designs in the NFL, potentially the Cardinals getting a new one. So we'll have to see how that comes, but you might have to get a brand new Jersey other than just a Bengals Jersey after they change their new designs. Um, so go check that out. Fanatics.com link is in our bio in our link tree. You just click fanatics and go right there. And, and anything you purchase there kicks back to us, helps us out, make, make even better content here uh, from the high low sports and all on the unhinged sports network. So to get us started, obviously there's the big one. Uh, that is Julio Jones, no longer in the dirty South, still in the South though, heading about two hours Northwest to Nashville, Tennessee, to chart to ply his trade with the Tennessee Titans in what is a very interesting trade. DJ, you want to, you want to break that down for us? Before we get to where he's going, I'm going to talk about where he's leaving from. Really? You're the Falcons and that's what you do. You draft Kyle Pitts showing you want to win now, basically. And then you trade Julio Jones. It's kind of weird. If you're rebuilding, 
you get rid of Julio, you get rid of Matt Ryan, and you don't draft a tight end at number four. You have guys like Justin Fields, Mac Jones, maybe even try and maybe you try and trade up with the Jets or something. I don't know. You probably aren't getting any higher, but you you draft like you're rebuilding. They drafted like we have a shot. Maybe we get lucky and Tom Brady gets old this year. There's no Drew Brees in in New Orleans anymore. And the and the Panthers, we shall see. We will see if Sam Darnold cannot get a random disease again and miss for, miss an entire month. So there's still if you're the Falcons, that's how you drafted. But then you get rid of Julio Jones. And then on top of that, new head coach Arthur Smith, former Titans offense coordinator, trades part of trades Julio Jones to the Titans. I wouldn't be surprised if this was planned. Now, where does see Arthur Smith back in Tennessee in like maybe 18 months or something like that? We saw the Titans weaponize COVID last year. Maybe they're weaponizing the COVID or not the COVID, the coaching market right now, too. So this feels like a re- weird, strong Mike Vrabel elaborate plan. But in all seriousness, it's great trade for both teams. Really, It's mostly for the Titans. If you're the Falcons, I really don't understand, especially you don't get a whole lot back. I mean, you basically got the same when you traded Mohamed Sanu, maybe a little bit more. But like if Julio Jones still has anything left, which we presume he does in the few games we saw him last year, he was still Julio Jones. Good for the Titans because him and A.J. Brown is terrifying on the outside. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, those if Tannehill can throw it up and still get the ball to him, I think it's going to be fantastic. It's very weird, though, that uh, Julio was talking about, I want to go somewhere where the guy has an arm and, and he goes to uh, to Tennessee of all places to Ryan Tannehill. Now, nothing against Ryan Tannehill, but when it comes to guys with big arms, I think he would rank about mid-level, uh, slightly slightly behind maybe his compatriot there in, in Atlanta and in Matt Ryan. And, uh, you know, He's not um, known as a bombs-away type quarterback, not a guy you can run underneath the ball or you're going chasing. It feels like a very lateral move. The one difference is Derrick Henry's going to pull those safeties way down in the box. So maybe Rantano, as soon as he turns around off the play action and just bombs it, then he can run underneath it. Since he wants to get it out quickly, the safeties are gone. You never know, but that's really good for both of them. A.J. Brown, Julio Jones, good luck covering both of them, guys, especially with no safety help because you need you need all the horses to tackle Derrick Henry. That includes both safeties. So it'll be very interesting to see how it works. And now with no Arthur Smith, can you imagine what Arthur Smith is? He's like, yes, I get who, and I don't have Julio. Why can't I have Julio last year? (laughs) And no John who Smith, the tight end to take over the middle. So we'll see how it adjusts, but on paper, on the outside, might be one of the better receiving duos in the league, maybe top three or four just on paper. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and then on top of that, like, here's the thing about this trade that that just bothers me is you trade a second next year and a fourth the year after that if you're the, the Tennessee Titans. And you still get a trade, and you still get a pick back from the Falcons. They still got a 2023 six-round pick back from along with Julio. So it's almost like you just traded picks for a much worse, like for what would seem like a worse pick. But you get like a top ten over overall draft pick into Julio Jones. Obviously, he's a little older now, but that and you get another pick. I, I mean, really, Tennessee fleece to the Falcons, and the Falcons yet again sucking it up in trades and free agency not getting any worth for for anybody as it feels like right now it looks like they got completely fleeced he said i'll wait to see what that second round pick turns into and how julio jones performs next year because if last year's injuries concerns were indicative of what's to come then maybe they got away with it maybe they got out a year just on time but if julio jones is healthy next year as he has been for most of his career he only misses maybe a game or two in your opinion where does this put the titans does this make them the clear winner in the afc south does this make them a super bowl contender where does this rank them as far as the hierarchy to get to the Super Bowl and win. I, I still think there's some holes for this Tennessee Titans, especially their offensive line. Um, obviously, I say that knowing full well that even with a bad offensive line, Derrick Henry did what he did last season. But there's still room to improve there for the offensive line. I think their linebacking core can obviously get better still. Um, they did in the draft. They did draft a linebacker. But, I mean, how much does that really help you with a rookie linebacker there? I, I know Mike Vrabel is going to coach him up just fine in two to three years, but is he going to be good this year? I don't think so. And that secondary after literally basically gutting it. Uh, yeah. I mean, you don't really do much to replace it in, in free agency. And so you gotta, gotta work on that as well. So I, I mean, I know they're not my favorite in the AFC South. However, if they can figure out a couple pieces here and there, and, and maybe some rookies perform better than I expect them to, I might change my mind, but right now it's still the Colts in that AFC South. I think that's just, the safest bet because even with Carson Wentz coming in, you don't know what you're going to get with Carson Wentz. That's okay because you still have a three headed monster in that backfield that nobody wants to deal with. Uh, and, and obviously I'm, you know, I know I say that just going from the Titans with Derrick Henry to the Colts, it's a completely different three headed monster than what you have with Derrick Henry um, in what you have in Indy because Jonathan Taylor, I mean, as a rookie, 
third best running back in the league as far as yards go. Marlon Mack, let's not forget, former 1,000-yard rusher. And Naeem Hines has is just like basically a Darren Sproles reincarnated except for better because he can run between the tackles. So, you know, it, it's it's kind of terrifying to think that, that that indie team, even with Carson Wentz, even if they don't get the best out of Carson Wentz, can still put up some of the most – like the best offense you can see. I mean, they were still a top 10 offensive team last season through most of the year. So, And then let's not forget about the number one overall defense through – about 15 weeks, I believe, they were number one overall defense? About five or so. They kind of fell off a little bit, but <laughs> still finished top 10 nonetheless, second against the run. And that included a Derrick Henry 180-yard game when they had their whole D-line out with COVID. So, yeah. I agree with you. I still like the Colts are a slight favorite, but I think this closes the gap a lot because curious, I presume we both like Caleb Farley coming out of Virginia Tech. Draft team, I think, helps your secondary a little bit as well, too. Still Kevin Byard back there, one of the most criminally underrated safeties of all time, it feels like. And then bringing Bud Dupree, if he can get healthy down the back end of the season, we'll, we'll see. And then uh, it's just how do those things kind of fit? There's a lot of holes on that defense. So if they can fill in some of the void, I think that closes the gap a lot. But like you said, I think the Colts, even if you don't get the best Carson Wentz, there's so much around it that it's tough to deal with. Maybe they both finish around the same record in this year, the tiebreaker goes to the Colts instead of last year. But if you get last year's Carson Wentz with the Eagles, then obviously the Titans will overtake that team as well too. But that Carson probably won't play the whole season. So it all kind of depends on there, but I, I agree with you in that regard. Like the favorite in the South yet, but they closed a big gap. And if they become a wild card team, I don't think a lot of people want to have to see that on a winning, win it, winner go home situation. It's like, oh, great. All the marbles on the line. I got to stop that and that and that. Three of the most imposing offensive players in the game, too. So yeah. they definitely a scary team. It's just can their defense do anything? And how does Tannehill do without Arthur Smith and John o. Smith as well? Well, I guess uh, that leads us right into our next segment uh, completely and utterly. And and, and we're just going to go right into talking about LeBron James while he's not playing. And that brings us to the main event, guys. Obviously, we are talking NBA playoffs. And this second round of the NBA playoffs does not feature LeBron James. There is no Damian Lillard. And there is no Jason Tatum. And there is no Luka Doncic in in this this next round. And uh, if you ask some fans, they say that... uh, it's criminal that the Lakers and Celtics aren't in the the next round. You also don't have Russell Westbrook, Bradley Bill, just in case you're a Washington fan. I'll include them um, for you guys. But uh, just to add on to that too, this is the first time in a decade an NBA Finals will not have LeBron James or Steph Curry in it. Yeah, Ooh. and I, I'm not even including Curry because he didn't even make it into the technical playoffs. So exactly, uh, you know, some some fans are obviously not happy because the only LA team in there is the Clippers, and then. Outside of that, there's no quote-unquote big market teams. Well, I'd call shenanigans on that. There's big market teams in there. They're just not your favorite big market team. Uh, and, you know, how do you feel about First of all, before we get into the actual playoffs, when you hear that people are mad that like that they think these are the worst playoffs because LeBron's not there, how does that – I mean, really? I feel like – and a lot of this goes to – like national media outlets always talking about market sizes too. Like, Oh, New York and LA. It feels, you feels like those two. And then maybe like Chicago and Phil Chicago are the only three markets that anyone cares about. They forget that they're Philadelphia is huge as a market. It's like fourth or it's right behind them. You have the New Jersey nets, New Brooklyn nets. They're right there. They're part of New York as well too. They're considered number one as well. Like there's a lot of people. And I hate that basketball has kind of turned into market size, more of a entertainment in that regard, as opposed to just, like in the NFL, you don't hear them talk about market size nearly as often. They say, oh, the Jets, New York, the Broadway Joe, Broadway Baker, like they make those jokes and stuff, but it's not as serious. I mean, Boston was the team, was a team for how long now? Like 10 years, 20 years with Tom Brady. Now Tampa Bay is considered a team. Kansas City, middle of the Midwest gets destroyed by hurricanes and other snow and other things. They were one, they're one of the most talked about teams as well, too. Like I, So that's the one thing I don't really like about basketball. But as pure basketball fans, those who actually enjoy the game, we do not care if they're playing in Salt Lake or if they're from New Orleans or if it's the Anchorage snowstorms. Whoever it is, if they are that good, we are going to tune in and watch them play as well, too. So that's kind of how I am. And I think people forget, like, one of the best teams to watch in the West is the Utah Jazz. Like, they are bombs away, to say the least. And we're going to talk about that in a little bit, a little bit more in just a bit. But that's the one thing that kind of, I don't really like about it is all the talk about market size and all that. It, I understand why, because, like, the brand and all that stuff for the players, but feels weird when you see ESPN and places like that saying like, oh, I'm sure Adam Silver just loves this, seeing Utah and Milwaukee in the finals. It's like you're pooping on the product that you are supposed to promote that gets you paid. It's kind of ironic how that kind of works out. It's poopy in the hand that feeds you and then eating out of it. It's not even biting the hand anymore. Yeah, absolutely. It's kind of it's kind of asinine to hear it. Um, just, you, you're just like, guys, come on. We, we, like, 
Look, looking at looking at the players still in the playoffs right now, we have Donovan Mitchell, one of the best young players in the game. He's a Gian- superstar in the making. Yeah. Like, if he's not already there, he is there. Giannis Antetokounmpo, two-time MVP, one-time defensive player of the year, an absolute world beater and a player. Joel Embiid, who is a superstar. Nikola Jokic, who is the MVP. And, you know, he is turning into a world beater himself. I mean, the two of the best centers we we, we have in our game today – you have Kawhi, you have Paul George in there, who yeah. two of the best wing defenders we've ever seen in recent well, you know, five years ago. Yeah, I mean, look, hey, it's, it is what it is. You have <laughs> to, I mean, we're giving them credit for what they've done in their career at this point in time. And, and then you haven't you have, even mentioned arguably the best player in the world is still playing Kevin Durant. Yeah, I mean, I'm not even getting to the East yet. And that's <laughs> the thing is like, I haven't even gotten far out East. And, and you know, there's still Devin Booker. There's still Chris Paul in there, which by the way, Chris Paul finally has his chance potentially with the Suns team. And then, as you mentioned, in the East, you have KD, Kyrie, James Harden, if he gets healthy. I mean, it's, it's crazy to think that there's people are hating on these teams. And let's not forget Trey Young in Atlanta. Atlanta, one of the biggest markets in the South. And they're like, oh, it's a small market team. Like, no, like, let let, let these guys have, have their moment in the sun. Just because you're a Lakers hound and you want to you see, like, Lake Show every single day, nobody else does. Like, literally nobody else. No other ba- basketball fans really care about watching LeBron play halfway through a game and, and walking the rest of the game. Like, nobody really cares about watching that. So At this point, too, most basketball fans are actually excited not to see the Lakers and the Warriors or any of those teams back in yet another finals. And a lot of teams probably were saying, we're kind of hoping that Milwaukee would beat the Nets so you would have, no matter what, there'd be new blood in there some way, shape, or form. Granted, that Milwaukee Nets series looks like it's not going to go that way, but I think there's a lot of people that wanted to see new blood as well, too, like a Utah-Milwaukee or an Atlanta versus the Suns, something ridiculous like that, some a pure anomaly. Like when the Heat made that run last year and got to the finals, that was a big talk until they ran into the Lakers who bullied them. But seeing what the Heat did last year, I think a lot of sports fans really enjoy that type of thing as well, too. Granted, the casual fan that only tunes in when for like the three or four names, that's obviously who we're talking about as well. But from the sports fan that is actually listening to us, because I don't think anyone's listening to us as not a true sports fan, would, would agree like it's kind of nice to see some parody. And that's what... I think a lot of people like about the NFL until Tom Brady kind of ruined that being all good and whatnot is it seem like there's parody every single year until recently. It's like, who's going to win? Who's going to get there? It could be a team just pop up out of nowhere. Like remember the Legion of Boom Seahawks came out of nowhere. 2013 wins the Super Bowl next year, gets the Super Bowl, loses. They've not been the same since. Yeah. Like things like that. Kansas City, it looks like that could happen too. Patrick Mahomes storms on the scene. Three years, three FC championship games, two Super Bowls. For all we know, that could be the last time we see them out there. We doubt that, but it's very possible. And it's ironic you bring up Tom Brady in both of those situations as well, because guess who was on the other end in both of those situations? Oh, just a guy named Tom Brady. So, uh, yeah, uh, look, uh, he, he is a world beater as well, but we'll get, we'll get to him when it's his time. We're not going to, we're not Jay Dash. We don't, uh, don't have a 12 shade of Brady segment every single time. Uh, but we do have to talk about it. And since you did mention the nets and that buck series, that's probably the, that would, that when you first told me then the bucks and nets are, are playing, that's my, my pick for it. All right. Winner of this gets out of the East. And as you mentioned, right now the Nets looking like they're going to walk away with this series after that game two just slacking of the Bucks. That was really rough to watch because not only did the Bucks have absolutely nothing going for them, the Nets were in prime form even without James Harden. Like that might be the best game they have played all season that I could think of. Honestly, they were on another level one through ten. Everybody who played was on fire. Kevin Durant looked like the best player in the world in that game as well too. He made every shot. The help defense. The in the ability to handle the ball at his length too, like those in and out moves. He was putting every defender on a yo-yo string. He was absolutely fantastic. Kyrie was in his bag as well too, even though he didn't have the best shooting night and they didn't have James Harden's playmaking. They kind of just spread that around as well too. So that is a scary team. And if, if you're the bucks, I hope they could turn around. Cause we talked about, these are probably the two best teams in the East. In our opinion, I know the Sixers are the one seed and no one's stopping Joel Embiid in the East when he's on his game. But when I look at these two teams, I've, we talked about this. We thought this can be a seven game series. The winner was basically going to the finals and might even be the finals favorite, depending who comes out of the West. Right now, it looks like it's just the Nets and the Bucks are just lucky to be there at this point. Maybe it is still that same thing, but the Nets are that good. We'll have to see. I mean, I picked the Nets to be the first seed in the East in our predictions because I thought they'd be really good. I didn't realize they were going to wait till the playoffs and actually get this good, though. They looked absolutely special in that game, and we'll see if it's an anomaly. We've seen plenty of teams go up 2-0 and then falter, but good luck pulling off four out of the next five if you're the Bucks. That's going to be a tough stretch. All you need is Kevin Durant to get hot, basically. One time, if you're the Nets, and the other time, Kyrie to get get hot once, and it's over. But if you're the if you're the Bucks, you have to play perfect, basically four games in a row now. 
yeah, that's 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 barring a, a James Harden return as well. Let's not forget that. And I mean, obviously with his hamstring, you probably don't want to rush him back if you're Steve Nash and the Nets staff. But I mean, look, KD, the way he's playing the game right now, it's uh, we talked about it during the color cast. It's it's like slow motion for him right now. Everything is happening in super slow motion. The basket probably looks like it's the size of like, you know, one of those big rig tires, the inside of it. And, and he's just sitting there throwing like little tiny rocks into it. He's just like, yeah, this is easy. <laughs> You know, and and like some of the moves he's he's pulling are, he's pulling them three steps ahead of everybody else. Drew Holiday, who is a fantastic defender in, uh, in his own right, is being left to make look like a fool at times because he's, it's just Kevin Durant's moves are just so uh, so fast, so smooth that there's nobody sticking with him. And he's shaking the reigning defensive player of the year in Giannis. He is shaking him in the open court too. Yeah, it's it's crazy to see what exactly how good this Nets team is, even without all three on the court. And we've talked about it. They haven't played all the, the like all these games together. It, up until the playoffs, it was less than 10. And now they finally had, you know, a whole first series, and they look good in that first series. And now here you are in round two, and you lose one of them. And it's like, all right, well, we're back to where we were, becoming, you know, still the, the one of the top teams in the East and in the NBA. So we're going to just keep riding with these two and have fun. Like, that's really what it is with these guys. We went from arguably the best team in the league to – a little more arguably the best team in the league. There's just more of an argument than there was before. Like it's absolutely insane. The collection of talent is ridiculous. And my goodness, I just hope that we somehow get a competitive series out of this. Even if the if the Nets pull it off, if the Bucks pull off, hopefully it somehow at least goes six. Maybe hopefully the Bucks can make it a series somehow because that's a great matchup on paper. But the Bucks were not. Re- I don't think they were ready for this, and the Nets were definitely ready. Is how it kind of looked to me. Hopefully, Boonholzer can flip this around and. Or Steve Nash is secretly one of the best coaches of all time, like kind of like when Steve Kerr snuck up out of nowhere and destroyed everybody with the Golden State Warriors. Maybe Steve Nash is doing that to us as well. Yeah, it's it's. I mean, look, it just seems like Steve Nash is is doing the thing of, well, okay, I have an asset, I have an asset, I have an asset, um, I have a bunch more awesome auxiliary pieces. So assets, you rule the world. Uh, auxiliary pieces, you help them rule the world, and we're gonna win. And that's like basically seems to be the offensive plan is like. You just pass it around. Whoever has the open shot takes the open shot. Everybody else just kind of move around and make yourself open. I guess this seems to be the way to the way they run offense, and it works every single time. Very very simple offense. Just like get an open shot and take it. Basically, don't matter who you are. You could be Blake Griffin shooting threes, Joe Harris shooting twos, Kevin Durant shooting whatever you want because it's a good shot regardless. Same with Kyrie. Like put up, put people on skates. The biggest thing for the Bucks is when I look at the Bucks. So if they want to turn this around. Giannis has to develop more in his game. He's got to find that mid-range shot or something, a really long-distance floater, something where he, when he's not getting the paint and dunking on everybody, he can actually contribute. And he's got to find a way to hit free throws. You don't have to hit him that great. Like, we talked about with the color cast with Joel Embiid. He shot 12 of 16, and that was kind of a rough free throw night for him, arguably. If Giannis can give you 12 of 16, the Bucks, good luck stopping him at that point, really. The Bucks could really easily win this series and turn around if Giannis can get to the free throw line 16 times and hit 12 of them. The way he plays, this should not be a problem. I know it's hard for him to get to the paint with Kevin Durant, always on the help side with that length coming. But their center is Blake Griffin right now. And then Claxton coming in off the bench a little bit too. Your center is Brooke Lopez, who we saw when they, they went through him, good things happened. Then you have Giannis, your power forward, who is a power center, point forward, guard, whatever you want to call him. Those two guys should be able to absolutely own the paint, but we have not seen that so far early in this one. So Giannis has to basically play like Joel Embiid for them to turn this around. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's going to be... It's going to be interesting to see if they can turn it around. But now, uh, in a much closer series in the East, I, we, we're going to head down to that that Hawks-Sixers matchup. And you mentioned Joel Embiid, an almost impossible stop. Game two, he was just insane down low. I mean, just having himself an absolute ball. And even with a technical foul in the in the second half. But, uh, you know, he was still, still having himself an absolutely fantastic game all around. And they ended up pulling out game two, tying the series back at 1-1 after in game one, it looked like, Early on, they were going to get just destroyed. Uh, and then, you know, they came back at the, at the second half of game two and then kept that momentum really going through much of much of game two. I'm going to add on to what we said during the color cast, where it was like this was probably the toughest matchup for him in these because you have the John Collins, the Clint Capels, like those multiple big guys that you could throw him down low. Granted, those are their only two tall guys, but you have like the two towers down low. He has his two career playoff highs in the first two games. In game one, he set his career high, playoff high at 39. Then he followed up in game two with 40. So he had basically 80 points through those two games against probably the toughest front line alive in the East. Maybe the Bucks, if they ended a matchup, we'll see if Brooke Lopez and Giannis. I, I don't know about that. I mean, I just look at John Collins, a true power forward type player. 
Clint Capella, a true defensive center as well, maybe second to Miles Turner as far as this year in blocks, if I'm not mistaken. Mm-hmm. And he's cooking them. It's not even close. They want absolutely none of that. Next, they throw Gallinari at him, and all Gallinari can do is bump into him and basically try and get him ejected. Like, that's their entire plan. Joe Embiid's out there even guarding Trey Young off of pick and rolls. He is sensational. And if you're, if you're the 76ers, you got to feel really darn good seeing what he has done. And then Seth Curry, Curry giving you 20, Tobias Harris giving you 20 a game. Like, those that between those three, that's almost 100 points. And that's with Ben Simmons struggling to get any sort of buckets going whatsoever. At this point, he's a D&D guy, not even a 3 and D guy. He's just a D&D guy for you. He's making Trey Young's life miserable on defense, but offensively, he is limiting to say the least, minus helping move the ball. Yeah, he's he's, he's what we're gonna call a dish and defense type of guy. Uh, that's that's what he brings to the table for you right he's now. He's a deep dish type of guy. <laughs> there you go. But no, it's a it is a struggle offensively for Ben Simmons. But uh, you know, you mentioned Tobias Harris absolutely coming out firecracker as in, at the start of game two. I mean, he was the uh, the he was the offense for the Sixers early on in that that matchup in the in game two and. You mentioned Trey Young absolutely struggling from three-point line. Do you think that'll continue in the series? Or do you think he's going to figure it out as he heads to Atlanta? Because that was just – that was an abysmal shooting performance for Trey Young. We talked about it, too. Like, he can shoot the threes, but he's better when he's not jacking them up, which he kind of started doing in that game, too. In that game, too, he just started hucking them a little bit when they weren't going. I think he's better when he's getting in the lane and shooting that floater, shooting those mid-range shots, getting people involved. And he obviously has to shoot some threes. That is part of his game, and it makes him – when he's hitting it, that's what makes him such a pain to guard and like an all-star player. But I'd like him to shoot five threes a game, not seven, eight, or nine. Maybe if he goes five for five, then start pulling them a little bit more recklessly. But I feel like he's just better getting into paint, getting Joel Embiid and those guys in between. Like, do I guard Trey Young's floater? Do I guard Clint Capella for the jam? Do I guard John Collins? He's he's not really Steph Curry or Damian Lillard as far as the bombs away type players. He's not quite that as much as we all want to say he is. And with his name being Trey, it would be fitting, especially how he did it at Oklahoma. But He's not. It's not his best game. He's so much better when he's not shooting them at a high clip. Let Bogdanovich, who needs to shoot better as well, too. Let Kyle Herter, Danilo Gallinari, let those other guys shoot the threes. I want to see Trey Young more as that Tony Parker-ish type role where he gets off of the screen and rolling either the floater, the mid-range shot, something along those lines. I think that's where Trey Young is at his best. When he had the 25 in the first half in the first game, he wasn't bombs away. He was doing that sort of thing as well, too. So I want to see 30 and 10 Trey Young with like four to five three-point attempts. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, look, Trey Young is is absolutely fantastic offensively, but you're exactly right. He was just hucking him up in game two. Just it did not look pretty at all. And uh, his floater was was a wall. I mean, put it on a milk carton. Um, Bogdanovich as well. He was just shooting wise, not completely there at all. And uh, you look, uh, does does DeAndre Hunter's injury is this really that bad for the the Hawks? Do you think, or do you think they're going to overcome it? Because I mean, obviously, Tobias Harris came out absolutely cooking and, and that would really be you got to imagine DeAndre Hunter's matchup there you'd think so too I imagine it definitely hurt obviously for the defense purposes the next best player that you could put in that spot is Danilo Gallinari but he's your third tallest guy so you can't just bump him in a starting lineup because suddenly then you have nobody off the a Kong Wu is not stopping Joel Embiid he's probably struggling with Tobias Harris he's probably not even stopping Dwight Howard he might be able to match Dwight Howard but I it, they're in a really weird spot if Hunter can't get back and it's going to be really dependent on more offensively because defensively you have to concede. Joel Embiid is going to eat. There's not a whole lot we could do about it. He's too big and too strong. Clint Capel's a great defensive center, but he's more of a help center, like like rim protector, not necessarily a one-on-one post defender. So you just have to concede, all right, Joel Embiid's going to get just average 35 on us, but you can't let Seth Curry give you 20 and Tobias give you 20. Some shake Milton, shake and bake off the bench and give you 15. Like You got to say, Joel Embiid get 50, everybody else get 35, 40. That's yeah. the only... That's kind of what I feel like they have to do defensively. And DeAndre Hunter would help that, keeping Tobias Harris from going absolutely ballistic in the first quarter. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. And, and you know, you mentioned you mentioned Huerter, and and he actually came off the bench and did a pretty good job. Of started, I mean, really, he didn't miss a shot through three quarters. It wasn't until the third, midway through the third quarter that he actually missed his first shot. He was 6 of 6 at the time. Uh, so he looked absolutely fantastic off the bench offensively. And Gallinari, through much of, through, through halftime, he, t- he finally stepped up in that second and third quarter and, and gave some offense to the game. Um, and helped out keeping the Hawks afloat. But it was just like that fourth quarter hit, and they had no answers for Joel Embiid, and their offense just went stagnant. Do you think it's it's just the uh, eventually they're going to wear down, or do you think it was just a, a down to they didn't have Trey Young performing the way he normally does, and and the byproduct is in the fourth quarter when you need him, he wasn't there. I'm going to chalk this one more up to the Sixers were on their game, and the Hawks just straight could not match it. When the Sixers were at their best, they were better at the Hawks, even when they weren't at their best. If both teams are at their best, we'll see. We haven't seen that. I mean, 
maybe in the first game we saw the 76ers not even present for a first half and then explode in the second half. So we will see. I, we haven't, I don't think we've seen them both play each other at their absolute best yet. So at their absolute best, I think the 76ers defense is going to give this is going to give the Hawks offense a lot of problems. And Ben Simmons in transition is one of the best transition players in the game, despite his offensive limitations. And that's where they're able to get a lot of offense going. So we haven't seen if Ben Simmons steps up this game, this series and is able to play like Ben Simmons, like that 18 to 20, 12, and then 10 and 10 type of guy, the series will probably be over in five. Cause even though with Trey young struggles, Ben Simmons is what just, that's all I can say at this point is what he's like, what three of 14 from the free throw line. Like he is a liability at this point, minus on offense. He's he can get your rebounds and push the action. That's about all he can offer you right now. So they got to figure out a way to get him going offensively. Doc even pulled him at one point when they started hacking at Simmons for a play for a series or two. So if they figure that out. This series will be over in five, as, soon, as soon as he gets it done. But if he's going to struggle, Trey Young, can, I don't think he's going to struggle. I think Trey Young will be fine moving forward, especially this first game in the A. I expect him to try and drop 40. So we'll we'll see how it goes. Like, this could be a six-game series or a six-seven game series. But if Ben Simmons gets it going, I think it's going to be over in five. Let's say he gets it going in game three, I should say. Do you think either team is able to pull a sweep in Atlanta, or do you think they split them, or how do you think it happens in Atlanta? I mean, that's two games. I'm going to say if Trey Young is on his game like we expect him to be and Ben Simmons continues to struggle, then the Hawks will go up 2-1. And then game four, I think Joel Embiid will take over, kind of like what we basically saw in Philadelphia. But if Ben Simmons gets going, kind of like what we saw that one time when that game Joel Embiid was out against the, against the Wizards, then I think that the Sixers have a good shot of taking game three as well and maybe even sweeping in Atlanta. I wouldn't bet on that because Atlanta – it's hard when Trey Young gets going like that, when he's feeling himself too, and when he's actually hitting the threes at a four out of five clip when he's feeling it, and then he could shoot like seven, eight, nine and still make a good amount of them, then it's going to be really tough to deal with. But I would say the way they both played throughout the postseason, I'm going to say they split in Atlanta. But if Ben Simmons gets going, he really is the key and the X factor for them, honestly. If you get the best Ben Simmons, they could probably be compete with the Nets, the Bucks. Like they could be a, they're a true championship team. But right now it's just Joel Embiid and who else wants to randomly step up. Yeah, and that'll be interesting to see. I, I I'm also kind of with you. I think though, at, at at best, they're probably going to split. Um, if if somebody gets going like Ben Simmons for the Sixers, I think they could pull a two nothing, two two zero victory in, in Atlanta. But um, I don't we'll say though. I, we both kind of seem to agree. Atlanta's not going undefeated at home by the sound. So I don't yeah, think either one of us. That's what I was about that. to say. Is I don't think either of us are, are are feeling comfortable with Atlanta going to, getting two wins at home. Uh, just right now with the way they're playing, I just doesn't feel doesn't feel possible. It doesn't feel like Joel Embiid will let him, really. I think it's a safe way to put it. You have to hope he gets hurt or he gets ejected, basically. That is your hope in one of those games to be able to make sure he doesn't take over because I think he's going to average 35 for this series. I think what we saw is just beginning. He might set another playoff career high in one of these games as well, too. I think Joel Embiid is in his bag of tricks right now, and he is feeling as far as dominating offensive force inside and out in the paint. Like we talked about as an offensive scorer, he's probably, in our opinion, he's the best big man, even better than Jokic at scoring, especially down low, more imposing, more in just a true center, just a dog down low that can also shoot. And if you foul him, good luck. So I think he's going to impose that will throughout the rest of the series. Whether it equates to wins, that's on Tobias Harris, Seth Curry, and most importantly, Ben Simmons. But I think no matter what, Joel Embiid will not allow them to get swept in Atlanta. Yeah, I think that's exactly right. Uh, now, heading to the West, we just talked about Jokic. Obviously, the newly crowned MVP in Nikola Jokic. They've only played one game. Uh, game two is going to be Wednesday night, actually, so... Just before this airs, we're actually going to be doing the color cast for that one. So um, you have already heard our color cast if you tuned in for that. And so you already know what we're about what, what the result is here, what we're about to talk about. But Nikola Jokic, obviously, just being the MVP, it was absolutely unanimous. I mean, not really unanimous, but as close 91 to 91 first place votes. I mean, there's a handful of other random ones. It's like, what? But I mean, it's they got it right comfortably, to say the least. Yeah, it wasn't the question mark ones like we've seen in the past where there's like three or four votes that decides the difference. No, this was... Comfortably, Jokic and well deserving. So, I mean, really, I talked the about surprise it. Surprise was seeing Steph Curry with five votes as the second one. It's like, really? You picked not Joel Embiid, not Damian Lowe, not guys who got their team into the playoffs, just a guy who had an epic last seven weeks of the season. Like, and then Derek Rose getting like the consensus fan vote. That was kind of cool too. That was interesting. But yeah, no, it was, it's, it's a fun thing to see with the MVP award, just uh, the way they award it. But, uh, you know, like I said, Jokic is well deserving here and really trying his best to try to, to try to carry this team over the Suns and, if it wasn't for just all the firepower for the Suns in game one, he probably had a chance at doing it, but the Nuggets not able to really overcome that in, in that first game. And, you know, do you think, do you think the Nuggets will figure it out? Will MPJ and, and, and Jokic and the rest of this, this Nuggets team be able to 
fight and keep up the firepower with a very high flying Devin Booker who is just absolutely lights out right now from the field. It feels like he is it, whenever he wants to get going, he feels like he can start cooking immediately. Uh, do you think they can keep up with that? I will say the best part is when they asked Jokic what he was doing when he found out, he's like, I watched five hours of Pokemon. That's what he was. That's what they said after he won the MVP. So that is great. Good luck. Everybody else beating that guy. But I think regardless of how, I think this is going to end up two, two series, whether it's the home team Suns win two, and then the nuggets win two or one and one, then one and one. I think this has two to two written all over it. This is kind of like when we saw them play the Blazers in round one. Jokic, when he isn't able to really get people involved as the assist man and the overall focal point, I think that's when you could beat them because other than Michael Porter Jr., the other guys aren't consistently creating their own shots necessarily. It's kind of, It runs through Jokic to a T. So when they force him to just score 40, you have a shot because no one else is really going off. And DeAndre Ayn's making him work a little bit. Like Jokic is winning that matchup, but DeAndre Ayn's not making it a walk in the park. He's like, all right, you have to at least try. I'm not going to just let you destroy me. I'm going to make you earn your destruction of me. So I think that's making it a little bit harder. And the Suns, they can they can throw so many bodies at you. We saw Mikel Bridges really step up in that game as well. CP3 is always CP3. Devin Booker, uh, we talked about Donovan Mitchell. Devin Booker's right there too. Emerging superstar, if not already there. Those two guys and Jason Tatum. Good luck for the next handful of years. They're going to, those guys will be joining Luka as like four of the top seven players in the next, by two years from now, something along those lines. I think... Future is bright among those four guys. And Devin Booker, he's going to average a good amount this series. I think it it's kind of like we talked about with the 76ers and the Hawks. You have to be like, we really are struggling to stop Devin Booker. We can hope he has an off shooting night, but we can't send all of our resources to stop him. Let's let him just go off and get 30 and hope he has a rough shooting night with like 40%. Don't let Chris Paul get people involved. Don't let DeAndre Ayton cook. Don't let Mikel Bridges and Cameron Payne like, kind of stop those ancillary pieces around him. Just like, all right, Booker, you got 40 on 40% shooting. We'll deal with that and hope nobody else eats. Yeah, absolutely. And, and you know, you, you mentioned uh, Booker there. And, you know, the one I want to talk about, though, is is actually going to be uh, Aaron Gordon. Obviously, he had a matchup advantage against Devin Booker offensively, but they didn't go to it enough. Every time they went to it, Aaron Gordon was able to score. But then it was like all of a sudden the Nuggets stopped taking advantage of that size mismatch. I mean, look, no, nothing against Devin Booker, but when it comes to guarding that Aaron Gordon, Aaron Gordon was a power forward before he slimmed down and, and got to a a small forward build and learned how to actually handle the ball. And even then you still see some moments where he, he's still learning. Handles. He's a small power forward now, not a, not a power forward, not a small forward. He's just a small power forward. Yeah. Really. He's, if you can combine a three, four, like into one, one position, a, a three and a half maybe is, is really what he is. Uh, but look, it, I, I, I keep looking at that matchup and being like, Aaron Gordon, please take advantage of this. Like you have the, you have the go every single time. And don't just start a three-point line. Go in straight up into the block, onto the block, and 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 go ahead and back him down. I mean, you have the advantage. Jokic is battling with Aiton, so you don't have to worry about Jokic coming over to help. Aiton, Aiton will just deal with that. Like, it, it's, I, I mean, I don't know, man. It's it, it's a weird thing that they haven't been taking advantage of it with Aaron Gordon, and I don't know. Uh, it seems like on paper when we look at it, it's like do that, try it, just give it a go, but. Th- it almost seems too easy, I guess. I don't know. But maybe we're missing something underneath. But I agree with you. It seems like such an obvious matchup at that point. It's like, well, why not just, you know, try it until it doesn't work? Yeah, and, and it's one of those things for me. I'm like, look, you need to take some say, take some pressure off of Jokic somehow. You can't just rely on Michael Porter Jr. to start jacking up threes at all points in times and Vaku to, to dish in with a couple extra threes. Like, you have to take the pressure off him. So why not use the reason you brought Aaron Gordon in offensively as to your advantage? Like, you brought him in. You wanted him on your team. He's here now. Use him. Like obviously, I know there's still things being ironed out offensively. You can see it every time. They're like there's so many mi- like miscommunications in their play calling that he, he was being pointed like where to go because he was on the wrong side. And even during those, he was still off. He was still effective offensively. He'd still get points or an assist during all those. But it's just like, why not use that to your advantage? Uh, look, and I'm I'm not saying the Suns don't have their own advantages. They have plenty of them. Namely, you start with Chris Paul, uh, and and him just everything about Chris Paul, his leadership, his abilities. He, he absolutely, when he wanted to take over that game in the third quarter, he stepped up and it was just bucket after bucket, after assist, after bucket, after assist, after assist, after bucket. I mean, he just absolutely dominated late in that third quarter. Absolutely. He's the guy. If you're the, if you're the Nuggets, you have to look at like, all right, we got to stop that. We're not stopping Devin Booker. And even if we do, we can't let Chris Paul do that. He controls the game. He controls the tempo kind of like Jokic does for them. They got to stop him. So speaking of controls, the tempo, in that other Western Conference game, they have a certain point guard named Mike Conley who controls the tempo as well as just about anybody the last 10 years who did not play in game one against the Clippers nonetheless. 
and it had one of the most abysmal shooting performances to start a half that we have seen in my lifetime, honestly. I can't really think of anything else comparative. We were calling that game, and we were like, well, what's going to happen? Well, what's going to happen? And then the second half, suddenly the Jazz turned into an absolute team of snipers and are bombs away, and Donovan Mitchell establishes himself as, by the way, I have been here with his 45-point game. And they come back and beat the Clippers after shooting 14% in the first half, like something ridiculous, like first 14% in the first quarter, and then 30% on the in the first half. They didn't actually make a two-point shot until late in the first half. I mean, they had the one with yeah, a toe like on the three, line. Three minutes to go in the in the in the second quarter. Something ridiculous like that, yeah, as well, too. And they managed to come back and win the game over the Clippers, who by all accounts played a pretty decent game throughout. Kawhi had some foul trouble and kind of struggled to get going, but as a team, they looked good early on, but they weathered down the stretch. Do you think that seven-game series has something to do with it, or do you think this was just all jazz showing what they got? They didn't have an answer for Donovan Mitchell down the stretch, honestly. They tried, and everything – Donovan Mitchell pulled out the bag there in the fourth quarter, and he, maybe it was from a little coaching from, from Dwayne Wade on the sideline. They kept mm-hmm. – they kept every time every TV timeout, every in-between quarter uh, from the second quarter on, Dwayne Wade was over there helping out, helping out Donovan Mitchell, uh, you know, Donovan Mitchell was asking him questions, Dwayne Wade answering him. If you guys don't know why that's the case, uh, why Dwayne Wade's in Utah for a game of all places is because he's a partial owner of the Utah Jazz now. So he, he gets to do things like that. He gets to sit on the sideline and help and coach in, in those situations. Kind of like we saw Mark Cuban back in the old days, like step into the Mavs benches occasionally before Rick Carlisle was fine. Like, no, you belong over there. Get out of here. Uh, but you see Dwayne Wade there, like helping out a, a young player like Donovan Mitchell, and and you saw a couple moves Donovan Mitchell was making there in the fourth quarter. You're like, Dwayne, Dwayne, did you put a Utah Jazz jersey on? Did you grow your hair out? Dwayne, did you uh, download some of your moves onto a mixed onto like a hard drive and then give it to Donovan Mitchell? Like, did he just download that like a 2K layup package or something? And on top of that, Donovan Mitchell has said Dwayne Wade was one of his favorite players that he idolized growing up too. So that's got to be great for him as well too. Seeing your guy out there, a future owner of the team you play for, like, oh. I got to show out. I saw what he did in those finals in 2006. I got, I got to show them what's what. So that was great to see 45 for number 45. Yeah, and let's and as you were talking about, I mean, he was in the first half absolutely struggling, shooting less than 30% from the field and shooting 16 for 30, so ends up over 50% from the field uh, on the night. So, look, he he completely turned it around in the second half. I believe he only missed two shots in the second half that he took. So And considering how many threes he was shooting early on, too, at one point it was like two for nine, two for ten, something like that. He could not buy a shot and down the stretch. He's like, I don't need it. And then the three started falling after he attacked the basket as well, too. And this is as we started this off saying all without Mike Conley, who is really kind of the orchestrator of the offense. Like Mitchell is the dude, but Mike Conley is the dude that helps the dude, if that makes sense. Like yeah. he's the controls the tempo. He controls the offense. He plays defense on the other team's guards as well, too. He's a he's the he's the floor general, kind of like Chris Paul is for the Suns. That's what Mike Conley is for them. He's the one who gets he gets them going like Chris Paul does for Devin Booker. He opens things up for them. So if he gets back healthy and that hamstring doesn't end up being a nagging thing, Clippers could be in a little bit of danger here. They really need to get this one just to jump up one to nothing on a team when they're hampered. But seeing them come back and win like that, if you're, I'm a little nervous if I'm Ty Lue and the Clippers. I know it's only one game. We were They were down 0-2 to the Mavericks last season and still won, but it's got to be a little bit unnerving to say the least after you had them shooting so abysmally poor. Didn't have their second best player in their leading point, their top guy point guard. Jordan Clarkson was struggling a little bit early on. And they still came back and gave you the business in the second half, led by Donovan Mitchell. So I'd be a little un- I'd be a little nervous how's Ty Lue and the Clippers. Yeah, and, and let's not forget Joe Ingles has not been able to find his shot since really game three of that Memphis series either. I mean, he was just absolutely abysmal shooting from the floor. Uh, we haven't seen the Joe Ingles we saw last year or even two years ago when they faced this Clippers team and kind of had Joe Ingles had his coming out party against Paul George, really, and and he was just lighting it up. So yeah, like when they saw him at OKC and they basically helped br- break up that thing before Damian Lillard did bit more or less too, where Joe Ingles is literally talking trash to Paul George slash recently anointed playoff P at that time. Yeah. And so, I mean, that's, that is a very interesting series to watch. Now I do have to ask you this question because uh, you did mention it a little bit at the end of last week's episode and you, you know, uh, Kawhi, obviously game seven, he had a fantastic, fantastic performance, but is Kawhi what everybody thinks he is? Depends, because I feel at this point now, everybody's overreacting in both directions. After game six and seven, Jordan-esque, the best player in the world with Kevin Durant, amazing. Then the other half is saying overrated, he sucks. He almost got destroyed by Luka only. He's in between. He is really good, but he's not, he's never been the best player in the world as much as everybody wanted him to be. He hasn't been really a two-way star since he left San Antonio. He's a 
amazing former defensive player of the year who still can play defense, but he's not, you don't see him chasing Luca for 48 minutes in the chair anymore. You didn't see him going after Donovan Mitchell down the stretch. And when he did, it didn't really matter. He's, he's a superstar player, but he's not, he shouldn't be in that. It was the LeBron fatigue. I think helped a lot of him get pushed because everyone, everyone saw what like LeBron when he got injured that year. And we talked about for 10 years, same with Kevin Durant with him getting injured and being on golden state. Everyone immediately wanted the right. He can't be the best player on golden state. Not allowed. Everyone wanted Kawhi to be that guy. And I think he's always just been really, really good. Yeah. But I I think it, it reminds me almost of Eli Manning a little bit in the NFL where he had those magical playoff runs, got to the ring, was absolutely sensational. But the rest of the career has been meh. For Kawhi, he's had a couple of magical seasons. And the rest of his career, he's just been really good. He hasn't been – obviously, he hasn't been as bad as Eli Manning is in some of those seasons. He's never been that terrible. But he hasn't – I don't think he's really been that dude minus a couple of playoff runs, like the one with the Raptors and – even that one with San Antonio, he averaged 18 points a game. So let's not get too hasty on that one as well, too. But he what he did in game six and game seven was sensational. And game one, he struggled. So he's a Hall of Fame player. I just think he should have never been anointed the best player in the world or even really top three or four. He's in that like five to eight range, like a more consistent Jimmy Butler, more or less, if that makes sense. Like really, really good first team all, all NBA caliber player on several different years. But trying to put him as number one or two in the in the game was very premature. And I think Hopefully some people are starting to see it as well, too. You can be an all all NBA player without being a top two or three player in the world. Yeah. Now here's the question. You know, we hear superstar thrown out for a lot of guys. Kawhi Leonard, superstar or star? Oh, superstar. 100 percent Like he is a superstar. I'm not that's the problem is when you say when you say he's not LeBron James or Kevin Durant, that doesn't mean he's trash. Like I probably we were ranking the top players in the game right now. I'd probably have it at five or six or seven. Yeah. Like there's if you did a draft of all the players like a fantasy draft like you do on 2K or Madden or something like that, he's going in the top ten, and okay. you're gonna and everyone's taking him happily. Whoever gets him is happy unless they had their eyes set on somebody else. But like I look at LeBron when he's healthy, and we'll see if maybe this year is indicative of the rest of his career or if it was the anomaly. We'll see on that one. I look at Kevin Durant, arguably the best guy in the world. Joel Embiid, Nikola Jokic, guys like that, Dame Lillard and Steph Curry a little. Bit. Some guys like that I'd even consider taking over him if we were picking all the players. He's sensational. I just when they're saying he's the best player in the world or even top two or three, it's like, well, I don't know about that. And there's also Giannis as well, too. I didn't even mention Giannis, but his free throw thing is pissing me off right now, so I'm waiting on that one. <laughs> but there's, he's he's closer to a, in that seven to eight range than one, two, or three, in my opinion. And people try to say, oh, he plays both sides. His defense is not the same as it was in San Antonio. He's still just a really good defender, but he's not that defense player of the year. He's not the claw anymore. Right now, he's just Kawhi Leonard, all all NBA player, not the claw. Yeah, so he's so I, I I look I in my opinion I think he's closer to eighty than he is to KD as far as the comparison of the top ten players and and uh, you know no no slight to AD in that one or anything they're still top ten players. It's actually just, a perfect match. I didn't think of AD like they'd probably both be in that seven eight nine range in my opinion. Yeah. So like I mean that, and that's just it. Like I look at him like that's like nine ten right there eight nine ten somewhere in that range is where they both fall. KD at two possibly one depending on how you feel about him the way he's playing right now. I think I put him at one. Uh, but yeah, like, you know, those, uh, there's a lot to be said. Now, the question becomes Paul George, though, is Paul George just turned into a role player at this point in time? Or can he still be considered a star slash superstar in, in some people's eyes? He's better than a role player, but he's not the superstar in the making like we saw in Indiana that we expected to see. Or even that first year in OKC where he was an MVP candidate before his shoulder issues. I think it was his first year, maybe it was his second year. Actually, I think it was his second year, but he's not quite that dude anymore. We haven't seen it consistently. And in the playoffs, he's he struggles so much. I mean, he had a game or two against the Mavericks where he was okay, but game one he struggled a lot too as well. He just it's too up and down, honestly. It's very erratic. I think he's a better defender right now, honestly, than Kawhi is consistently because I think he's the guy they send to take that other player away. Maybe that wears down his offense a little bit. I don't know. I I'm not in I'm not Ty Lue, so I don't know what the plan is there. But all I know is I want to see those two chasing Luca and chasing Donovan Mitchell, and we don't see it nearly as often. So. Paul George, he could still be the second best player on a championship team, just like Kawhi could be the first best player. I just don't, they're just not quite, if you put Kawhi head to head with Kevin Durant and say they're at the top of their games, Kevin Durant's going to be better. Just like Kyrie or James Harden against Paul George at the top of their games, I'm going to take Kyrie or James Harden. Like that's how I compare. It's like, he's a legit number two option. I just don't know if he's a superstar that we thought he would be coming out of Indiana after that, especially with that leg injury. And then as well too, what we saw that one year in OKC where, could have been defensive player of the year and MVP. He had a case for it during that one year as well, too. I don't think that I don't think he's that dude, or I just haven't seen it when it matters the most. So 
he's like a top 20 player. He's just not in that top 10, 15 category anymore, in my opinion. Yeah, I, I agree wholeheartedly with you. That being said, I, if I'm building a basketball team, I will gladly take him because yeah. I will find a way to use him with that skill set. Oh, absolutely. That's just it. Like, he's another guy I'd take I'd take with my second, third pick if I had options. He's not my first pick, but second and third pick? Yeah, absolutely. I'm going to take him. Like, I mean, why not? Why wouldn't I? Heck, um, if we're building teams and doing that fantasy draft scenario, he's going in the first round, just not in the lottery necessarily is how we're looking at it more or less. Yeah, he's going to be that 25 through 30 range at that point in time, so... Look, and there's nothing wrong with that, but it's always worth mentioning, like keeping people's kind of uh, things alive. And I also have to put Rudy Gobert in the same category as Paul George right now because he is absolutely struggling as well. I mean, he is not the stifle tower we've been seeing lately. He's more of a a big guy who's existing there and just kind of living between his moments, really. He's he's definitely not quite what we were hoping to see either because we 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 talked about where he's gonna for this series for the Jazz. You almost need him to be a force down low, and he really wasn't. I. He had his moments. He's still defensively intimidating in the paint, but he's not taking over games like we want, like we want to see from him consistently. No, he got absolutely outperformed by Zubak, and I would never thought I would say that about anybody comparing to Zubak. And no offense to Zubak, but again, a guy who's a second team player on a on a team that doesn't need a center, and he's out here outperforming a former multi time defensive player of the year. Guy shut, the guy defended the entire league less than two years ago. I mean, he that's someone that you need to have him step up and make more plays. So we're running a little bit lower on time, so that jumps us into our clutch time segment, brought to you by Dr. Squatch. Smell like a man, feel like a champion. All your soap, men grooming needs that you can need. They have a whole line of deodorants. I have a few of them as well, too. You have one. You want to smell good going out with the boys. You want to smell good going on a date with the lady. You want to smell good after the gym because you don't want to smell like stank. They have a, something for everybody along those lines, too. They got pine tar scented soaps. They got just about everything you can need as well, too. So that brings us into clutch time. And Kelsey, you got a little bit of something I hear you want to talk about as well, too. We're going to take things to the diamond. Yeah, so not just the diamond, but all around for women's sports in general. Uh, But right now you're talking about the Women's College World Series and the performance put on by Odyssey Alexander. She has absolutely captured the hearts of all of anybody who watches sports. Her, Her story is absolutely fantastic. She played so well during the College World Series. She played but won six games, pitched over, I think it was something like over a thousand pitches in 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 the six games or in the eight games she pitched. She only lost to Oklahoma twice. And she played Oklahoma four times in the College World Series. And it took them four games to 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 beat her twice. Uh so she's an absolutely fantastic pitcher. They got to the semifinals, did not make it to the finals, unfortunately. However, uh she is one that I do want to point I, I'm using her to kind of tip off for the series about this conversation because uh, you know we obviously I've, I've talked about women's sports many times in the past how they just don't get the love of the men's sports and perfect example of that is right now I mean how many people even knew the co- women's college world series was going on if you had not heard of Alexander how, would you have known the college world series was happening I mean really other than checking it on ESPN because it didn't get covered it's it, the, the games are played midday during the day during the weekdays on ESPN they're not getting covered like they would men's college baseball world series where they get our primetime nighttime games and nobody's talking about it. ESPN's not even talking about it until they had a superstar to talk about and Otis Alexander. And that's a shame. And it, it carries a bigger purpose. We just had the U S men's national team here winning the nation's cup, uh, nation's league or CONCACAF nation's league uh, cup over Mexico. But the thing is that's their first win in any event in the last seven to eight years in any tournament, in CONCACAF, in world play, anything. And by the way, CONCACAF is the worst, second worst or like regional organization in the world. And the U.S. couldn't even win that. They keep getting beaten by Mexico and Canada and Panama um, in, in those games. And, and they couldn't even do that. And, and finally, the U.S. men's national team did it. But we're ignoring the women's national team, a four-time World Cup winner. And they play in the same week. And it, it's a bigger conversation to the fact that like, there is no love shown to the women's sports, especially women's soccer, especially women's softball, from the male counterparts uh, counterparts of their sports. I didn't see a single U.S. men's national team player talking about the U.S. women's national team games in the same exact week. And I haven't yet to see a single baseball player talk about anything happening in the Women's College World Series. Nobody, not even Baseball Tonight is talking about it. And you want to talk about making a bigger platform for women's sports and making women's sports bigger and more in the face and getting more women involved in sports, though the number one way to do that is to talk about it and take the platforms that you have and talk about them. That's what we do. We talk about women's sports on here. Obviously not as regularly as a lot as a women's sports focused podcast would, but 
we talk about them as much as we talk about them more than we talk about soccer. Uh, we talk about them more than we really talk about baseball as well. So, um, look, it, it's something that if if you're if you want to improve women's sports, you have to start with the just having the conversation about it. And um, I, that's my bigger thing is, is right now there's some absolutely fantastic stories, some fantastic sports being played right now by women, whether it's the NWSL, whether it's U.S. Women's National Team, whether it's you know softball, whether it's volleyball it's all sorts of sports are happening right now with women involved and none of them are getting the attention they deserve uh and that's you know it it comes down to the media comes down to people with a platform not talking about it and that's just my biggest qualm right now is talk about the women's sports man it's a lot of fun to watch if nobody's watched these sports they, they there are more exciting plays in women's softball than there are in an entire baseball like series like in a three game mlb series more is happening in one game of women's college world series. And that's just, that's just a fact about it. You want it to entertaining game, watch women's college softball. It's exciting. If the, if the pro fast pitch league was still, was, was uh, as big of a thing anymore, I'd say watch that as well. But that disappeared because, well, guess what? Nobody talked about it. So uh, that's my bigger thing right now. It's just, uh, you got you talk about women's sports, keep it, keep it on the platform, keep it on the top of your mind. And that'll work for you pretty well. Um, but yeah, that's, that's my, that's my thing. Uh, but DJ, what about you? Obviously, what do you have going on? Well, we can't argue with that as well, too. So I'm going to talk about a sport that's been, for the most, a little more inclusive as well, too, for both men and women. It's struggled a little bit recently for women, as you mentioned as well, too, and it could definitely improve there. But we're going to go to the octagon for this one, just wrapping things up really quickly. UFC 263 happening this weekend. Not a whole lot being talked about with it as well, too. Underratedly good card. You have return of Israel Adesanya taking on Marvin Vittori in a rematch. And obviously, Israel Adesanya was the hottest thing since sliced bread for a while until he lost his last fight in a very boring fashion. And Marvin Vittori, a guy who took him to split decision when they fought early in their careers. Granted, that was a questionable split decision. It was like, how did you see him winning? But that is neither here nor there. Interesting rematch as well, too. And the few times they talk to each other, they're less than thrilled with each other's existence. So that should definitely be a fun fight. And then in the co-main event, arguably the best flyweight fight of that we've seen in a title fight that I could think of in Divas and Figueredo taking on Brandon Moreno. Talk about a slugfest. Like, my goodness. Anyone who tuned into that was like, oh, my goodness. But because they're flyweights in a similar vein as what you were talking about, no one cares. No one talks about them. They're, everyone looks at them like, oh, I could beat those guys up. Why would I watch them? When, in reality, those small men would destroy 90% of you know the human population. But I digress from that as well, too. That was one of the fights of the year the first time they matched up. They're going to match up again. That's good. I want to hear more about that one, honestly. I wish they were talking more about it. They're basically just like, hey, a rematch for a championship. Moving on. <laughs> Something they could talk about more as well. And then in an unprecedented third fight, Nate Diaz taking on Leon Edwards, also basically the welterweight boogeyman that nobody wants to fight. He's the guy that you fight him, you gain nothing because nobody really knows who he is. But he's the third best fighter. He's ranked number three in the division, and he kills people. He is absolutely sensational. And then Nate Diaz, we all know Nate Diaz. Like, not a whole lot needs to be said about that. The best part is he said he wanted a five-round fight, so they made this a five-round fight. The first non-main event slash title fight that has been five rounds that I could think of. So Nate Diaz wants and he gets. So that's going to be a really fun fight. We'll see if if Nate Diaz weathers that early storm Leon Edwards could bring. We're going to see Nate Diaz really turn it up in rounds four, five, three, four, five. And we'll see if that makes a difference. We'll see how Leon Edwards responds to that as well, too. And the rest of the fight card is pretty decent as well, too. But those three definitely really captivating fights not being talked about as much. And Nate Diaz, once again, a guy who we all talk about as a superstar. His record doesn't show it, but calling the shots, getting his way. He says this is a... BMF belt, he gets a BMF title belt, basically. He te- speaks that into existence where him and Jorge Masvidal are fighting for it. He says he wants to fight this guy in five rounds. He fights him in five rounds, even as he, though it's not a title fight or a main event. So Nate Diaz continues to do Nate Diaz things, and it's absolutely fun. I wish they were talking about him more as well, too. They just loosely talk about it. Like, is he a superstar? Yes. Okay, done. The promotion for this upcoming fight has not been as much as we we're going to see for 264 when it's Poirier versus McGregor 3. That one's going to be all the way across, it's going to be posters, flyers. Like, we're not going to be able to avoid the promotion for that one. Where this one seems a little more, meh, it's happening, guys. Tune in. It's like they're, just, they're not trying as hard for this one compared to what we're going to see going forward. So, definitely underrated fight card this week, and I look forward to seeing it. I think it's going to be bombs away. Yeah, absolutely. I know I'm excited for it. I, I'm not even a fight fan, really. I mean, I'm slowly turning into one. But I will say, Nate Diaz, I love when he's involved in fights because it is the best trash talk I've ever experienced. And it's only one-sided. Like, literally, it's only coming from Nate Diaz because it's that he's the only one capable of trash-talking the way I enjoyed listening to trash-talk. And mean, he's never in a boring fight. It is not possible. Yeah, not at all. So that'll be a very fun uh, very fun event 
UFC 263. We are not calling that on Colorcast uh, because, well, I think we're going to be too busy enjoying all of the fun around it. So, uh, And we have a lot of basketball games as well, too. As If you don't know already, we're in that Colorcast tournament as well, too, for the NBA playoffs. So if you haven't been following well, follow along on that. Tune into us. We definitely enjoy the support. You can jump in the comment section. Tell us how good, bad, or terrible we are as well, too. Follow us on Twitter. You can find all the updates there, or you can subscribe to us on Colorcast if you download the app and create an account, too. So we definitely appreciate all you guys tuning in for that as well, too. It's a fun time, and we thoroughly enjoy doing it as well, too. And it helps us get a little bit of extra cheese to help us supplement the podcast, too. So a little bit of everything for everybody. Yeah, absolutely. We're slowly improving everything. The sound quality, uh, maybe, you know, eventually get, getting some more videos put up. We, we, you know, got to work on my podcast body first and maybe try to make it a, a video video body before we do that. But uh, yeah, That'll we'll, take a while. <laughs> we'll be working on that in the coming up in the future. But all this helps out getting there as as you mentioned, we're in round two right now, getting ready for, for, for that one. And we're in the dog days of round two. And, uh, you know, all the support is, is possible. Just follow along on our Twitter, Instagram, high low sports on Instagram or at high underscore low underscore sports on Twitter. And be sure to follow along with all that. And really just stay tuned for a whole lot more coming up for us. Um, we got this next two months really of, of NBA playoff basketball. And, and then from there, we're going to figure out probably we're going to get into our player rankings pretty much immediately with NFL. Uh, because it is getting close to that time yet again. But until next time, guys, we'll see you later. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18+. plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. This holiday season, Lexus wants you to remember. Nothing feels as good as making others feel good. Those so-called feel-good holiday films? They can't hold a gingerbread-scented candle to the feeling of giving them something that gives them all the feels. Make this December one to remember. Together. Click the banner to discover more. Experience amazing at your Lexus dealer.